With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Overall, I think we need to be more physical, particularly on offense. We worked the heck out of that last week. A lot of fundamentals, a lot of simple things, and hopefully hopefully it'll make a difference. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. All is right in the world. I'm refreshed after the bye week, and Jim Harbaugh is looking for an exit strategy after only five seasons. All right. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? I am not underwater as I speak to you, but it is harvest season in the heartland, and they are taking their toll on me, so I apologize in advance. (laughs) And Boomer hasn't used his exit strategy yet. What do you got for me? Well, I'd just like to say, unlike uh, UConn's coach Randy Edsel, we welcome people using social media, Twitter, playing Fortnite, whatever. We're we're okay with the modern modern listeners these days. (laughs) All right, if you know what Boomer's talking about, look it up, Randy Etzel. That was millennials. Dang it. Uh, well, Honky, as you alluded to, it was a, a wonderful bye week, a chance to kind of step back from Husker football a little bit, you know, maybe do some other stuff or just catch up on other football. I'll start with you, Honk. What'd you do over the bye week? Well, as usual, I use it as a chance to see some family and go to small town Nebraska. Oh, water tower tour. Oh my up. gosh. Yeah. Oh, I, I took a photo. We were in uh, St. <laughs> Paul. The water tower there has a baseball guy on it because that is like the baseball capital of, uh, of the state. But they also have a distillery and a winery there. So that, that also draws my family. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Didn't get to watch a whole lot of football, which didn't kill me. Although I did get to see the very end of the Wisconsin game. So yeah. that was, that was kind of interesting, but just a good weekend. I've, I, honestly, I'm refreshed. It was good to get away for a week, Dave. Nice. Excellent. Boomer, did you catch some of the college football action? Oh, I did. Absolutely. We, we spent a lovely fall morning at uh, the Arbor Day Farms at the Treehouse and seeing all that that they have built. Kind of fun. And I did, rediscovered I had a family, which was kind of surprising. I <laughs> assumed they'd all moved out. I didn't know. But uh, yeah, then got to sit around and watch some football. Just, you know, games that didn't have a huge vested interest in, but got to enjoy it. And it's always fun watching Harbaugh lose and had a good time. Yeah, I did catch up on some Big Ten action. Um, that's that's good to hear. Mac, yourself? Yeah, it was a big uh, makeup week in the McGuire household. I uh, I had been sort of a ghost to my family in in the recent weeks, and uh, I finally got the windows on the outside of the house cleaned. I bought this a cleaner, a microfiber cleaner with a squeegee on the other side, and made it a project. It was fantastic. I I, I nailed it, and I think like I I probably with another bye week coming, I'm probably good for the rest of the year. I mean. She was enchanted <laughs> by the time I was done with it. Again, my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. I can basically say whatever I want to, but uh, she called me her hero. That's weird. Well, you've earned yourself some Plowboys, I think. <laughs> you dang right earned some Plowboys. Some, some outstanding barbecue down there, Plowboys inside of berries, and uh, tell them the Redcast sent you. Have, get some pulled pork nachos, you know, on us. Yeah, I hear those are amazing. They are. Honky, you mentioned you caught the Illinois-Wisconsin finish. Uh, that was a surprising outcome, to say the least. Right, thirty-point uh, favorites there. The Badgers were in Champaign, yet they go down 
So maybe Illinois isn't all that bad. Maybe Lovey Smith isn't going to get fired. And, um, you know, Michigan also lost again. So uh, interesting, you know, Big Ten action overall. Yeah, I said it a couple weeks ago. Go and listen to the tape after the Illinois win. I said that that team is going to beat somebody down the road that they shouldn't. You said Wisconsin. Well, I didn't quite say Wisconsin. No. but <laughs> No, no, I don't did not say that. Don't check that, that. Tape. <laughs> Yeah, don't check that. But, you know, look, anytime we can get a win, and this is the thing that sometimes drives me a bit crazy with the realist out there, is that I get it. We're not as good as maybe I thought we were going to be preseason. But when we do win a game, you still get those fans that are like, well, that team's not very good or that team's not that. Forget all that. Yeah. A win's a win right yeah. now. And, and Dave, we'll get into that with this weekend's game. But a win's a win, and we'll take any one of them we can get right now. Let's get to six. And now, scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. You can teach it some. I think Lou Holtz said it. If a dog won't bite when it's a pup, it probably won't bite when it's grown. And there's some some truth to that, too. And I think it, as a team, it's got to be the culture. It's just got to be what's expected, and it's got to be a standard that's uh, non-negotiable. We're working toward that, but it doesn't happen overnight. All right, fellas. Uh, well, we just heard Scott Frost there talking about uh, you know physicality and and how he can install that uh, on, in his team. And I don't know if you can make that up in a bye week. It feels like that uh, needed to be happening earlier in the season already. But sometimes bye weeks can be jumps, and we can make uh, significant turnarounds here and. And, you know, maybe uh, it's not just the physical nature of the team, but also just getting back to the basics. Uh, and that might be really important, Honky, right? Because we do have some roster changes. Uh, Scott Frost did address the the press last uh, or yesterday and, and talked about uh, how Maurice Washington is no longer with the team. And that it could uh, make our backfield look a little bit different uh, on Saturday, right? Yeah, we suggested last week that Washington maybe make a switch to wide receiver. Yes. And that was one route. Uh, yeah, something has happened since last week, and he's he's not wide receiver or running back anymore. Yeah, this was a this was a case of a, the Red Caskets results uh, bizarro world. We were not hoping <laughs> he would leave the program, but yet contribute in enough or another fashion. But but yeah, man, uh, Mr. Washington is no mo on yeah. the team. I mean, we'll we'll see what's going on. Uh, and, going forward, but. you know, he's not off the team completely, but we don't. He's kind of in a weird limbo area. But yes, I believe they call that the phantom zone because because <laughs> Frost didn't want to call it indefinite suspension. He said those were the reporter's words, which which is what you have to use to ask a question. So I don't know what he wanted to call it. He's not a part of the team right now. Going into this week, there's certain standards that we ask our players to uphold. Uh, when those standards aren't upheld, it doesn't matter who it is. They're not going to be a part of our plans that week or potentially longer. If he's not off the team and he's not playing, it sounds like a suspension. <laughs> but, again, I'll use the words phantom zone. But, Dave, we talked about this a little bit before recording. I think Frost and the staff, they sounded like this was something they've made a decision a while back on, and they were kind of ready to get moving and talking during that press conference. Now, stuff hadn't gotten out to all of us yet, to the press and to the fans, but to this coaching staff, this sounds like a decision that was probably made several days ago and maybe even longer ago in their minds because they've been frustrated with Mo for a while. Yeah, you know, the press conference was relatively quick. I think it was 12 or 13 minutes. And, you know, Boomer, a lot has been made of uh, Frost, quote, uh, kind of it was a lengthy but in detailed explanation of, I think Sam McEwen asked the question. It was a great question. I was just listening to SiriusXM uh, Big Ten Today. Matt Schick uh, was having this conversation about, you know, the answer to that question of, 
would you have done anything different with Maurice Washington? And, and Scott Frost said no. And he really referenced Tom Osborne and, and said that, you know, you, you don't want to crumple these guys up and throw them away. Sometimes it's better to keep them. And uh, it, it feels like they have gave every opportunity for Maurice Washington to stay in the program and do the right thing. And for some reason, it just hasn't worked out. And it was just time to, to some degree, cut ties. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Uh, you know, we don't know what's officially precipitated this most recent, I guess, separation or temporary suspension or whatever reporter's words we want to use here. And it's hard to say. Would he have done anything differently? May it have been better to just not play Maurice at all this year and just have him focus on practicing and getting through the court troubles, getting all that settled before trying to get on the field and having the pressure of a season and an offense on him. I don't know. At this point, what can you say if you're Frost? You're not going to say, oh, yeah, we should have done everything differently. It is what it is at this point, and we'll just kind of have to go forward. I think both parties need to go and do what they need to do. Well, Mac, let's actually turn our attention to the field then and talk about how this impacts uh, the roster and the, the lineup. We do expect probably a lot more from Diedrich Mills, maybe a lot more carries, but we could also see some other faces in that backfield. And I'm, I'm probably thinking you're thinking about Ramir Johnson. For me personally, yes, Ramir Johnson is a guy. He's already played two games. Let's get this guy ramped up. Dave, you and I talked about this last week. Do we want some of these young guys to get some experience in winnable games? And I'm not calling Indiana like super winnable, but it's not Wisconsin. It's not Iowa. And this would be a chance to get him out there, get his feet wet, and maybe contribute to, to a point where maybe we can rest some of our other guys. It's always difficult to replace a big-time playmaker like Maurice was. But at the end of the day, too, our running game has been slightly ineffective all season long. So you get <laughs> you, you get Mills going. Uh, Wyatt Missouri, this, we're talking about a senior, a guy who's super hungry. He was on concussion protocol, so his reps have been limited. I wouldn't necessarily expect a humongous drop-off, only because yeah. there's just not much drop-off to be had based on our, our statistics going forward. So If we want to tie two different thoughts together here and saying, okay, we're going to expect some different faces in the backfield to support Dietrich Mills, um, but maybe an increased workload for, for Mills as well. With the idea that, uh, you know, Frost said that we needed a few run plays that we could really be our bread and butter, and we were going to work on that during the bye week. So to Max point, if, if they've known that Maurice has been off now for a week plus, they've been able to rep with these players throughout it. What, what type of fun, bread and butter play? <laughs> it's harder to say than what you expect. Uh, and who best fits maybe those, that run game? Is, is it, Mills, or is it something like a Johnson or someone in between? To start with that, Washington wasn't practicing last week. Right. And so this right. is something the staff has been planning for, obviously, for a while. And they've been practicing without him for a while now. And this does tie together with this culture change that Frost talked about, wanting to get more physical. Uh, one of the linemen, I can't remember which one it was, but probably Farniak, they talked about how last week they were running specifically about 90% inside zone is what they were practicing. And so if you think about, hey, we're going to run what we practice and we're going to, we're going to play how we practice. If they're practicing inside zone, and I know that's a base set and that's a base play and, and it's trying to hang your hat on something, something Frost talked about a week ago. If you're asking me who a running back is that's going to do that, Mills every day. In fact, Frost even referenced back to where Mills probably looked at his best was in the I formation when he was in the fullback spot because it was just go straight ahead and just yeah. run. It wasn't, you're not, re- it's not really part of the frost offense. It's just run straight ahead and, and, and go. But that was where he was at his best. He's getting better at it all the time. I think probably the big thing was the vision and a little bit of patience in, in running in our kind of scheme. Um, it's not so downhill and hit right now. 
we saw how natural he was when we lined him up right behind the center and gave it to him. Uh, he, he's learning how to run in our scheme a little better, and I think he's been getting better every week. And I think they want to try to get some of that physical running style instilled again in this stat, in this team, and, and it will be out of the, the shotgun, it will be out of the spread, but I think Mills is A, number one to do that. An interesting thing I heard about Mills, and again, I'm, I'm horrible at remembering where I hear this because I try to, to listen to so much. It might have been Sam McEwen again, was that, you know, Diedrich, because of his experience being the kind of the up back in the Georgia Tech offense, and then at Garden City, it was a, a pretty simple um, hand the ball off and, and plow forward type thing, that there are some certain things that Mills just really wasn't that well versed in with the offense and actually... I think what he was trying to get at is a little bit being more patient for a hold open up, those type of things. Not how his, it's not his running style and also what his previous offenses didn't really give him, right? And so, um, it's taken a while for him to actually adapt to the Frost offense. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and we've, we've kind of seen that and sort of documented that along the way because certainly those first few games, there was no question he was hitting the hole as hard as he could, but it was just like ramming into a wall without ever looking. And then he, you know, as he, as he progressed, he started to kind of look up. And, you know, the whole point of that Nebraska drill they do is to read the angle of your up man blockers rear end so you know which way to cut. And that, yeah. and that just takes time. And, and if you're just, not looking, <laughs> and if you're not looking, if your head's down and if your quarterback is jumping up in the air to catch the ball before you can look at it, you know, you don't even know if you're going to get the ball. Yeah. So there's just a lot of things that at the beginning of the season where we were kind of stacked up against it. And, and now hopefully with this bye week, everybody getting a little healthier and this it practice on the inside zone. And listen, Mo's gone. I don't know how the distribution of reps has been in practice, but like we've talked about, Mo's been gone for a week. We know that for sure. So you have to get these guys ready to go. Mills is going to be one of those guys. Uh, Jalen Bradley, and I'm not, I'm not calling my shot or anything like that, but he's still on the team. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a guy that, that has potential to maybe do something. Uh, you know, we've if got Jalen Bradley gets a, a carry this weekend. That yeah. is the ultimate redcast. <laughs> gets results. He, he, gets results. I mean, I'll say this. If Jalen Bradley gets on the field, I predict <laughs> he makes an impact. I bet he makes a good run. I really do. So, I mean, I think, you know, we've gone through the running backs about pretty good here, and we've talked about yeah. how we're hoping guys are getting healthy. Missouri's coming off of concussion and so on. But unfortunately, there's other injuries still. Yeah, well, just, I mean, Adrian is still listed as questionable, even though we have seen him in pads. Uh, Wandell uh, has not been seen in pads. He's in the street clothes right now. So uh, he's probably the least likely. Really hard to, to make a read here on, on who's going to play or not. We saw Adrian in pads last week, too. So it's hard to say. Uh, whoever's throwing the ball and running in that quarterback position, it'll be also interesting to see if they have more targets to throw to, right? Are we going to see some of these freshmen more, some like Darian Chase, Jamie Nance, et cetera, get on the field and, and start making an impact? And um, that's, you know, I mean, it's interesting. It's like we've had all these discussions about the, the offensive line. We just talked a lot about the running backs, but if the offensive line hasn't improved over the last 10 days and can make some holes for that running back crew. It doesn't make a lot of difference. Same thing is like, you know, offensively, can we get some vertical passing that maybe rips the top off of the defense, opens up running lanes, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the depth chart that came out yesterday, the O-line hasn't changed at all from a starting lineup standpoint. Uh, One thing you learn about this league pretty quick is this is a grown man's league and guys have to be ready and 
it's hard to it's probably hard to win in this league, particularly in the trenches with 18 and 19 year olds. So we're expecting help out of those guys. I think they're really close to helping us, but they're also first year guys, and we throw them in. You're going to expect some first game mistakes and first year mistakes. So we got to be smart as a football team when we use them. But been, I've been pleased with the progress of several guys, including Piper, Ben Hart, and some other guys. And Boomer, you know, to get you kind of involved here a little bit too, is that you know we've just talked a lot about you know, getting young guys out there, get get some of the young receivers, get some of the young running backs out there. And that's because this is a very winnable game and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we're not predicted to win this, right? <laughs> yeah, this game's been really close as far as uh, the Vegas spread goes. It's it, it opened at Indiana about minus one and a half, minus two, depending where you're looking. It's fluctuated anywhere from Nebraska up one to back to Indiana at minus one. So it's pretty much a pick game. I think it's one of those games that's kind of a danger for Husker fans to fall into, thinking, well, it's just Indiana. You know, they're typically terrible, and they typically are. But they're another one of those teams that, kind of like Illinois, can just jump up and beat anybody. They're 5-2 and two in the Big Ten this year, and their losses are to Ohio State and Michigan State, so not terrible losses by any stretch of the imagination. They've beaten teams that you would think a decent team would want to be able to beat in the Big Ten. And, you know, we'll probably go down this a little deeper when we uh, talk about our, you know, predictions for the game, but statistically speaking indiana is actually a pretty decent team they're better than nebraska in most categories to be honest with you in terms of offense and and total defense in the in the big 10 and in just an overall game so you know people need to be you know just a little wary of falling into that trap just thinking this is just a you know like playing you know i don't know kansas in 1984 or something like that yeah it's this this isn't quite that that sort of scenario so it's something we should be mindful of as husker fans this year you know, I think it's it's true, Boomer, uh, and Mac would probably say we shouldn't be small and uh, that we need to just be like, it's Indiana. It feels like the media is reflecting some of the, the fans' um, nervousness about this scenario, and, you know, we're just being fed this uh, kind of negativity a little bit, like, you know, ESPN FPI, for example, has us losing every single game. I wouldn't be surprised right now from a, a futures bet or whatever. We'd be an underdog in, in every game left right now. But there's still a lot to be played. And it, it's it's a scenario where one win here this week could start changing that narrative a little bit. Right, Honky? I mean, get mm-hmm. this one under the, your belt. Um, just figure out a way to win at home with a, a crowd that's going to will you uh, to victory maybe. And then uh, you look to Purdue and and kind of build a little bit on that, and then you're maybe maybe you're six and three, and and you're feeling a little bit better about yourself. We actually asked that question today on Twitter, Dave, about the last five remaining games. Do you think we're going to go four and one or better, three and two, two and three, or one and four and worse? Those are your four options. And right now we have about seven hundred votes already, and you can vote for the next couple of days after the show even goes live. I guess the good news, depending on how you want to read the results, about ninety percent think that we're at least going to go two and three or better and the good news behind that is two and three gets us the six wins gets us to the bowl eligibility gets us the extra 15 practices that come with that all those things come with it but when you actually break down the numbers 38 percent think we're going to go two and three 43 percent think we're going to go three and two so i I mean the the bulk of them are in the middle of that i can i can live with that definitely that's 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 reasonable people are definitely thinking iowa and wisconsin are losses there and uh, if we go two and three, they're basically saying they think we can beat two of Purdue, Indiana, and uh, Maryland. Is what it is. That's that's fair with what we've now, done up to this now point. Now that might be their, their expectations. There's no there's no uh, 
poll to say, how happy will you be at the end of that? It's like, oh, that, that's a completely different question. You know, I'm, right. like, I'm not going to be pleased, you know, but, but this is what I think. I, I think, though, this is kind of an important game, though, just for the psyche of the team, just coming off of, you know, a bad couple of weeks here, a bye week to try to regroup. It's really important to get this one at home. I mean, if you mm-hmm. don't beat Indiana here, you are really eliminating any margin you have for error for the rest of the season. Because, I mean, Wisconsin being what it is, it they can be vulnerable, but... You know, they're still a challenge for us, and Iowa's as well. So you're basically, you know, hanging your hat on not losing to Purdue or, yep. you know, Maryland, which is certainly within the realm of possibility, on the road, you know, coming off of a, a losing Which streak. we're 1-7 un- under It'd be easier for a team to check out in those circumstances. So this game is really important for that aspect, and you don't want to take this lightly. I mean, as a fan or as players or a coach, and I hope they're I assume they're not, but let's hope they're not. I don't want to do a show next week if we don't win, because think about this. We would be 4-4, four and four, and the only way to get to bowl eligibility at four and four is you have to at least split your games. And we're basically saying we have to win our remaining two away games because at that point, most people would be saying, especially with the loss to Indiana, most people would be saying there's no way you're going to beat Iowa and Wisconsin at home. So we have to go on. I really don't want to lose this game. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is, I really don't want to lose this game and do a podcast. And and I don't want to put, (laughs) but we'll be here for you. Redcasters. Don't worry. Me and Boomer will do the show. (laughs) I said a week ago, if there's any players listening to us, don't. But this is a huge game. I'm not here to put more pressure on you, but you've got to win this. Nebraska yeah, well, yeah. has to win this game at home. But that's never changed. We've always had to win this game. There was At no point of this season was Indiana loss going to be okay. I mean, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> a good point, Matt. But most people, I think, at this point thought we were probably going to be 5-2. and two. Yeah. The, the Colorado, That's only one loss off, though, really. But it really puts that onus on you have to win this. We've got to get to five wins after I'm, this I'm game. I'm certainly not arguing that. We we and, definitely need to win and, this game. And to Boomer's point earlier, and I'm sorry I kind of took us down a, a rabbit hole here, Dave, but to Boomer's point, too, it's not just win this game to get to bowl eligibility. Get some momentum back. Win this game, and then let's not even worry about bowl eligibility. Let's start winning games. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, eternal, point, I'm the eternal yeah. optimist. I, I still think we're going to finish 9-3, and three, right? So just win yeah. this game and get started. Get some momentum going. Get guys healthy yeah. again. Build yeah. something. Get that offensive play and, and something you can hang your hat on and start building. That's what I want to see. Yeah, when I'm kind of looking for this, I think, you know, we've talked about how ultimately Ohio State's our benchmark and that's where we want to be. And I think we can all admit that's going to be a ways down the road. And what I'm looking for now for the Huskers in the future is our current benchmark essentially is Minnesota. They're in year three. They're undefeated right now. I think we would all want to be at that point. I'm not saying that. And what I mean by this is if you kind of look at last season, what happened with Minnesota? They played Nebraska. They got crushed, and we beat we beat them pretty handily. Yep. And then what did they do? They yes. went on and they won about what four out of their last five or six games. Got to a bowl, won yep. a bowl game, got momentum going, and look where they're at now this year. And I think that yep. is exactly that included victories over Wisconsin. Coming off a loss to Minnesota, let's win this game, get some momentum going, build positivity in the next season when. We do open with kind of a similar schedule in Minnesota. On paper, it looks like it should be easier, and let's kind of get things going in the right direction, and that kind of serves as a as a benchmark mm-hmm. for us going forward, So at least for the short term. We do have an easier schedule to start next year. I could easily see a, a, if we could somehow gain some momentum here at the end of the year, a 7 or no start. I don't know how we'd end that season, but it, it does uh, open up pretty well for us. And, you know, Honky, you went down the rabbit hole, so we might as well finish it. You know, I've I've thought a lot about this in the sense of, like, this 
to me, feels reminiscent, and I'm not the first one to say this. I think Dirk had an article or, or talked about referencing Bill Callahan and, and Bo Pelini in their year twos or whatever. 2009, now think about this. 2009, we lose to Iowa State 9-6 to because of, what, nine turnovers in that game, if I remember right? And it's... You know, we're four and I think we're four and three at that point. I remember I was living down in Texas and me and Boomer, uh, we, I don't remember who called who, but I'm walking around this, this park outside my house and we're, I'm just lamenting. I'm like, I don't know if Bo's going to get this done. This is, this is a horrible performance. This is embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, everything turned around, uh, and we go to the, the big 12 championship game and we, you know, throttle Arizona in the holiday bowl. Um, 33 nothing, and everything looks great by the end of the year. So things can change yeah. and change dramatically uh, sometimes, you know. And so um, you have to take each week for what it is. And uh, Adrian gets healthy, mm-hmm. and, and the offense uh, just even gets remotely better here. Suddenly we're more competitive, and um, we go in the right direction. Well, you know, Dave, I think maybe to kind of put an end on that too is this is something a game that all four of us went to maybe the only game we've ever all been to together was 08 Oklahoma and it's one of my <laughs> proudest moments because it's one of the worst games that we've gone to see and we've seen a ton of them right but we were down i think 35 nothing you two the, have seen yeah. some awful but we were down 35 nothing at the end of the first quarter game goes terrible we lose it badly but in, we don't leave early and instead of, you know, boohooing and everything, you know, Mac, you and I, we walked down to the tunnel where the players come off. We clapped the players off the field. And now, if, if my memory serves correctly, we were five and four at that point. And I just remember how proud I was that we, we, we clapped the team off. We, we you know, we, we wanted to support them for the rest of the season. They turned around. They won the last four games. Once again, the Red Caskets results. <laughs> again, that's where we're at right now. I mean, we're just, we need some momentum. This has been kind of a negative season up to this point. I've heard some media people talking about how Frost seems really down right now in the press conferences and everything. We just need some positive momentum. We need something good to happen. And so let's get it started. So let's get it started this week, Dave. It's time to throw the bones. Yep, we're going to wear the alternate jerseys this week. So I told the told the team this morning if we're going to wear them, they better show up and play with an attitude that uh, makes the Black Shirt alumni proud. All right, guys, we are talking defense now, and uh, as you heard there from Scott Frost, we are wearing our alternative black shirt jerseys this year uh, in this game. Um, and you know, I mean, it's one of those things where maybe they haven't quite earned it yet, but hopefully uh, that uh, gives them the this little bit of an extra edge to get over the top here on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Mac, you know, the, the defense at times has actually done well. And, you know, Minnesota, uh, kind of exposed a few things uh, against the team, especially on the run defense. Do you expect Indiana to try to go after that as, as Minnesota had so much success? You know, they probably will in, to some degree. I, they're not built exactly the same Minnesota was in terms of being able to just run at us and stretch it wide. I mean, Minnesota absolutely exposed a weakness. In our, in our defense and particularly the back seven in terms of our inside linebackers being able to fit when you're running laterally. What do you attribute that to? Right. So some of that's talent, some of that's coaching and, and some of that's development. Right. It, so when you're, we're at this part of the season and we've talked about this on the offensive side to a, to a large degree. It's the, you know, the word on the street is that Hendrick 
might be on his way back, maybe get a chance to play. You know, we still have guys like Jackson Hanna at inside linebacker that was a big-time recruit, and we'd love to see him out on the field. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things when you look at our team that may, you didn't know necessarily where the warts were at the beginning of the year. You kind of hoped we'd fill in. But this is this is an area, the inside linebackers in particular, where there's a lack of maybe athleticism or physicality that has hurt us over time. Now, with Indiana, I don't know that that makes that big of a difference. I think it's going to probably come down to our coverage with some of these guys in the defensive line still playing well. But this would be a good game to get some of those young guys in there, let them feel what it's like to play college football, and get them out in space and see how they do. Well, you said, Mac, what do you attribute it to? And I'm going to go back to the to the Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag. And we had a question uh, from Twitter from at Big Red Pig. And he said, what the heck is the issue with the inside linebackers? They can't fill a gap to save their lives. It's killing us in the run game. Is this coaching? Or are they just not very good? Now, you mentioned that we have obviously some young guys, and Heinrich hopefully is going to be healthy and coming back soon. Jackson Hanna is one of those guys too. But that's not who we're talking about so far. Right. We're talking about guys like like Muhammad Berry. We're talking about Will Hannes. You know, again, a four-star recruit that picked us over Iowa and Wisconsin, and a guy that yeah. very much fits kind of the, the Big Ten blueprint of what a inside linebacker yeah. looks like. Colin Miller, too, from Indiana, sure. another you know yeah. Big Ten inside linebacker. So you know, he's basically Big Red Pig is saying that you know these guys just aren't very good, or the coaching's not very good. I mean, Mac, from what you've seen so far, what is your thoughts? I think the Minnesota game was the extreme of it. That's probably the worst I've seen of them. But it was he's the saying ex- they're not filling the gaps. I mean, what are you thinking? It, it was the extreme. It did hurt us, but it hasn't manifested all year long. But he's not wrong. I mean, this this is something that they 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 saw in either film study or whatever, and that we could not adjust all game long, and they hate us with it all game long. It is frustrating. This should be something, especially with this with experience that Mo Berry has. You wouldn't think we'd be able to get duped into that. We seem to be athletic enough to fill those, but we didn't. I I totally agree with the frustration. Let me ask it a different way, Mac. And maybe like kind of break it down just the X's and O's a little bit here. And Honky, you can join on this. But we've talked a lot about run fits here a lot the last 10 days. It's been really interesting in the sense of like you've got the three down linemen. And in that scenario, they're they're kind of moving sideways, right? Mm-hmm. The, the offensive line is trying to push them. Uh, you know, one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. And then uh, is the run fit issue mainly related to cutbacks in the sense of someone like one of the Minnesota running backs would would wait and be patient, and then eventually they would, they'd see a hole back and they'd cut back, and that's where Mo Berry or Will Hannes or Alex Davis needed to be, and they had put themselves out of position. Is that how that run fit? Is that how the defense is supposed to work? Is that 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 guy stays and makes sure he's protecting a, a gap per se? That's exactly how it's supposed to go. Like your backside guy never loses containment to the outside as everybody's kind of filling to the side. You know, the defensive line's job is either to occupy one or more blockers and just keep those linemen off of our linebackers so they can go fill the edges. So in this instance, so let's take uh, our inside linebackers. Exactly that was the question. It sounds like they were over-pursuing maybe a little bit too much, or was it something that they, they just weren't seeing where the ball was at um, and got too anxious and, and got kind of caught up into the traffic? What was going on there against Minnesota? You know, it's interesting. I think with, with Minnesota – you know, P.J. Fleck identified that in his post-game press conference, and it, I almost think it was an over-exaggeration by Minnesota to really stretch it wide 
in hopes that those back those those cutback lanes would be open based on bad fills from our linebackers because he saw some inexperience or he saw some tendencies on film that exposed us for those kind of back end cuts because the defensive line was doing good. You know, it's so and we've talked about this before too, but it's so hard to tell in the moment of a game. Sometimes you feel like you're being out physical just because they're running on you, but then when you go back and you're looking, like, well, no, they weren't they weren't moving the line of scrimmage per se, but they were mm-hmm. they were patient and they were finding those cutback lanes, and we had linebackers trying to fill to a side, you know, aggressively like we should be, but they were losing backside containment. That's something that that they identified on film. That's something within a bye weeks of of time that we should be addressing and looking at. That's a self scout that they talk about doing all the time. So I, I don't know, Dave. Is it scheme? To a degree, some of it is make a play. You know, okay, yeah. like we're, we're flowing to the ball. Watch the guy and, and wait for that cutback. You see what he sees. You know where the soft spots are. It's a combination of exposing where we're weak in, in not just experience but, but athleticism and just uh, being less predictable on defense. All right. Well, we kind of broke down the, the linebackers quite a bit there off of that Plowboys barbecue and a question, right, Honk? Yeah. Uh, but it kind of makes me think about the – the defensive line's role in that just a little bit. And I think it's important to frame that conversation a little bit on on that three-man front and what those guys' responsibilities are playing like, you know, a two-gap technique or whatever that is. Could you maybe talk a little bit about how that interacts with those linebackers? Yeah, I mean, that two-gap is an important thing. We've talked about this a lot yep. in the past with 3-4 and 4-3 defenses and why it's difficult and, you know, what their role is in that and when you're playing a two-gap defense as a D lineman, I mean, you're standing up a guy and you're essentially playing both sides right. of him. So you can imagine why it's important to get big, strong guys that can do that. Yeah, this is either why recruiting is incredibly important, important or development becomes incredibly important. Yeah, and, and, it, and it doesn't matter if you're 3-4 or 4-3. You can be a two-gap in both of them. We were a two-gap defense under Pelini. And think of a guy like Indominus Sue and just incredible strength. Oh, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, incredible player. That. But that guy used to stand dudes up, play both sides of them. And, of course, he would just throw them to the side and make the play. But a lot of times with, with defense alignment and what we're doing right now, Dave, we're not necessarily asking defense alignment to make plays. We're asking guys to stand guys up. Yeah. We're asking guys to play both sides of a lineman playing two gaps. But at the end of the day, you're holding guys up. You're taking up blockers. And you're expecting those linebackers to make those tackles. And so – to Minnesota's credit, and I really have to say this, and it's hard because Boomer, what do you what do you call PJ Fleck a coach business casual? Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, coach business casual. Yeah. Okay, so you know, you got to give him a little bit of credit. I think he really game planned us well, and he got our linebackers out of position, and he probably saw something that they'd been doing on tape. But I think overall, the D line did its role against Minnesota. Well, you know, Mac, you mentioned uh, kind of the recruiting and development part of this whole thing. And uh, we are expecting some younger players potentially to see some time here, whether it's against Indiana or uh, you know going forward in the rest of the season. I don't know if that means out the, the D-line per se, but maybe the linebackers or even secondary players that you could see uh, showing themselves here against Indiana. You know, the defensive side will be interesting. It, it will be more interesting to see who they do play in terms of young players and like maybe break that down and see like, oh, that I didn't expect to see such and such play. What does that tell me? But, yeah. you know, just, just talking about it, you know, before the game, I have no idea. Yeah. I, just, I just think in general, Dave, the, the discussion about playing young guys is all about the fact that we have to manufacture some depth here the last five weeks. And whether yeah. that means pulling guys out of red shirts or just – 
maximizing the four weeks right. of games, the four games you can play under the redshirt rule, however they choose to do it, offensively and defensively and special teams, whatever it is, right. is that we've got to find a way to get more depth out there on the field somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. Yeah, I've watched them more on D than O so far. I think they're big and physical up front. Have some corners that can cover. They play a lot of press quarters and some man mixing some pressures. They really run to the ball, play hard, tackle well, cover well on the outside, and they and they're pretty hard to move in their uh, front seven. So I've said this a bunch, but there's a lot of good teams in this league, and you better show up ready to play every week, or you're going to be in trouble. All right, now is the time on the show that we put on our scarlet colored glasses, something hockey pretty much has on all the time, <laughs> and uh, talks all, all thing Husker program, but we'll we'll focus on. Uh, kind of a little preview of the Indiana game here, and I'll throw it over to, to Boomer to kind of talk a little bit about the Hoosiers, who are five and two, and uh, looking to become bowl eligible under Tom Allen, who's a defensive-minded coach, but with a, a pretty good offense, right, Boomer? Yeah, they've been a fairly capable offense as far as the season has gone. Uh, it, it has been a pass-heavy offense. They're not a great rushing team this year. Um, their rushing numbers are fairly pedestrian as far especially in conference games i think they've averaged or i think they've totaled about 550 yards in their four big 10 conference games which isn't great but they've thrown for over 1100 yards in those games so they they are one of the top offenses uh yards per game is a little over 420 compared to our 380 so far we're a lot more balanced as far as that goes so those of you at the beginning of that whole balance thing you know that that may play a role but uh you know the big question with them is their quarterback uh penix is he going to be healthy or not he tends to get banged up pretty easily in games he's been fairly fragile in terms of what you expect to see out of him numbers wise he's very similar to adrian in terms of total yardage he's more accurate but you know average is about the same he is fairly mobile though and that is one of the concerns i think he's only been sacked once so far this year i mean he hasn't played in all their games because he has been banged up a bit and they do have to slide a few other players in you know to like peyton ramsey to to fill a slot who's Still a capable quarterback. He's not quite as dynamic and not quite as elusive, I think. He's been sacked more, and they don't tend to have the the moxie when Ramsey's in that they do when Penix is playing. So that's going to be a big question for Indiana. Is he going to be able to play? And then if he does, are we able to get any kind of pressure on him at all? And they are going to rely on the pass to try to get their offense going, and that is something we do have to worry about. If they can do it, then it's going to be a problem all day. You know, Penix is interesting. He's, a, I think, a redshirt freshman. Correct. Very dynamic player, to your point there, Boomer. And he, he won out a, a QB competition versus kind of an incumbent there in Peyton Ramsey, as well as I think, um, I'm going to forget his name, but he, he was a transfer from Arizona, I want to say Arizona that uh, lost a job to uh, Kill Tate. Um, so, I mean, obviously Tom Allen has a lot of faith in him. The offense is more dynamic with him in there. It is interesting. If you look at the Indiana offense, and we just talked about how you know, the uh, ESPN FPI has Nebraska losing all their games. And the FPI is very much stat-based. A lot of these predictive algorithms are stat-based, right? And, I mean, the Hoosiers are 2-2 two and two in conference. Their victories are against Rutgers and Maryland. Uh, let's not even talk about Rutgers. I'll give them the credit that they beat Maryland in Maryland. Uh, they lost to Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, Michigan State was competitive. Ohio State wasn't, but that's uh, no different than us. Their non-conference uh, includes UConn, 
We all know how horrible UConn is. Thanks, Randy Itzel. Uh, Eastern Illinois, and then they uh, beat Ball State by 10. So, I mean, I think Nebraska might be 5-2 and two with that schedule too as well, right, Hunk? So maybe, uh, you know, the Hoosiers are a little bit bloated with the, you know, stats because of the, the schedule, and and uh, we can pose a, a little different uh, level of competition for them. Yeah, no, that's certainly the case. As far as, like, you know, trying to compare us to other teams, to me it's just about us playing better. It really is. I mean, this has to be a week to get better. It's a week yeah. where you do your business at home and beat this team that I believe we're not going to be small, Mac. Exactly. We need to beat this team. Correct. Okay. Now, where this team challenges us, if Penix is available, and we don't know this certainly yet, but this guy is a mobile quarterback right. and that guy scares the death out of me. If it is Peyton Ramsey that goes instead of Penix, that's a different style of QB to prepare for. I'm not saying easier. I'm just saying different. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be prepared to be able to play either style, uh, you know, QB Mac Mm -hmm. that that we're going to see there. This is kind of the common theme, except with the, with the exception of a couple games this year, but it's always what are we going to play our best football? And if we play our best football, I, I believe for the most part, we win our schedule. You know, there's, there's going to be exceptions with, you know, like Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa. I'll even throw Minnesota in there based on bad, how badly they, they beat us. But there's no, you're not going to tell me we played our best football against Minnesota either. So whatever that ends up being, let's face it, we have not seen this staff after a bye week yet. There's no, there's no data <laughs> on this. They've never had a bye week. They've Isn't been snake. Yeah, it's crazy. They've been snake. It's crazy that we have. A quarterback who's been with the staff for three years, but he's only been in Nebraska for two. <laughs> and it's crazy that this entire staff has been together this entire time without a bye week. So there's four there's, years yeah. without a bye week. So That's we don't nice. we don't know how they'll respond. Let's hope they they set a precedent with a win afterwards, and and this is the start of that. So we should be healthy. We should be fresh. We should be schemed up and ready to go. I don't know who our quarterback's going to be either. So That's so and, and on their defensive side, so who are they going to prepare for? You know, like now all of a sudden we don't have Maurice. Washington. So who's our running back going to be? They don't. They, there's some questions about what we're going to look like too. At the end of the day, snaps good, no penalties, no self-inflicted wounds. I think we win, and that's just kind of how I'm going to feel because I'm not small Husker fans. I'm not small Redcasters. And join me. I'm going to get a tattoo. I'm just going to say not small. Don't be Actually, I'm not going to get that where, tattoo. Where, that's a terrible tattoo. Where, Nobody get that tattoo. Where are you putting that tattoo at? Don't be small. Don't worry about it, honk. On his heel, left heel. It's going to be my tramp stamp. <laughs> oh, God. All right, we're going to move away from that as quickly as possible. Please do. And, uh, all right, so Boomer, uh, we're um, hopefully uh, – could be graced with the presence of Barrett Pickering in this game. He may still sit out one more week, but he's getting closer. Sounds like he's kicking in practice. They don't want to push him back, and there's a possibility of actually redshirting him here. But uh, if we need him, Pickering may finally solve the field goal riddle. Yeah, he's back on the depth chart this week, which is good to see. You know, I don't want to criticize the kickers we had. It was just kind of an odd situation for the special teams this year. It's Seemingly, it's the way it's been going for several years now. Just weird stuff happening with special teams. But it's nice to see your, you know, preseason starter back there and available if we need him. You know, hopefully it doesn't, again, doesn't come down to field goals because you don't want to have to depend on that just with all the variables we've seen. And even if Pickering is back, you know, who knows, you know, how ready he is for game conditions. So let's just hope it doesn't come down to that at this point. Yeah. I know. I mean, if we're trying to be 
realists here and knowing that bowl eligibility is so important, if this game is in the second half and we're in a tight game and we need a couple of field goals to be made, uh, it, it changes the dynamic of the offense if we know we're going to get three points if we get inside the you know 25-yard line or so. It might be worth it to play him this game and and not play him in one of the later ones if it can get us a, a victory now. Yeah, I think it's worth trying. I think that was part of the problem we saw with Minnesota early on. It's we had no faith whatsoever in the kicking game, especially in that first half. We you know, we were in position to maybe try to play for field goals and we we didn't and we ended up having to punt, you know, close to the fifty and forty and just weren't able to actually convert any of those early drives to points, which really kind of set the momentum for that game. So you're probably right if there's the opportunity here to get some field goals in this game. Let's maybe give it a shot and just see what you've got going forward. And if it's you know still a trouble with Pickering, at least you know that and you have it established and can plan accordingly for the rest of the season and you'll know where you're at. Yeah. Do you ex- I would expect that we may see some faces if, uh, since Maurice Washington is not returning kicks here, we may have a different kick return specialist. Yeah, I'll be curious to see who that is at this point. You know, uh, he's out. You know, you can't put Wandell back there if you wanted somebody dynamic. So who knows at this point? I think you just see who's excited to play and who wants to catch a ball and who wants to try to return something. And, you know, Spielman was having some issues, you know, fielding punts, you know, like he's had all season. Just this might be a sure. great week to just mix things Wyatt, up Missouri. and yeah, put some people back there and see what they can do. Yeah, why not? What do you have to lose? At this if you point? are playing Ramir Johnson, that's a logical spot for him too. Right? Yeah, I mean, if you're already burning his red shirt, just let's let's put him back there too. See what he can do. Absolutely, you know? we'll put yeah. a Jamie Nance back there. Put a you know, like the fact is, everybody that we've had returning kicks this year is either hurt or not on the team right now. So <laughs> there so, is that. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 a window of opportunity. Let's hit it. And now, Nebraska ball. You know, that's one of the great things about Nebraska. We have two things going for us as, as much as any in the country. One is the support uh, with our fans. You know, the Memorial Stadium has been sold out since 1962, uh, which is unbelievable. And we've sold every seat uh, for our upcoming season. Uh, and the other one is the facilities. I think our facilities are as nice as any uh, in the country. So, um, you know, again, we're, we're excited to go out there. We just want to put a product on the floor that makes our fans proud. All right, guys. You know, bye week is a perfect time to talk a, a little Nebraska ball. Um, season is almost upon us. And there was media day recently. So uh, Fred Horberg and his uh, brand new gang of uh, Huskers are uh, ready to take on the season. It is a very new team. We have pretty much an entirely flipped roster, as we discussed uh, while that was occurring, right, last spring. We have Thor back and Deshaun Burke, who really didn't actually play with us at all. And so it's a, it's a very new team out there, but a lot of potential. You know, Honky, uh, let's start this off a little bit with the fact that I know BTN actually went on the uh, Italy trip with the team. And so we're going to be treated, I think it's next Monday, to a three-part uh, series of kind of documentary on that trip. So it'll be nice to get that publicity. Maybe that's a chance to learn and familiarize yourself with some of these Husker players. You know, Husker fans, Redcasters out there, if you are sitting there saying, I don't know any of these guys, I, I'm just not familiar with who's on this team, you're not alone because I don't know them either yet. Of our 16 players, uh, 14 of them are brand new. Uh, the only player returning that had any Big Ten action last year was Thor, uh, who averaged two points and one rebound. So uh, we don't have a lot of production coming back. 
Uh, Deshaun Burke was a player who's been really good for us so far in the preseason uh, that sat out a year ago. So he was able to watch uh, what the Big Ten is all about. And Boomer, you and I, we went to the opening night uh, after going to uh, Plowboys and eating some delicious barbecue there over at Barry's. Boomer and I went to the opening night, and literally we are looking down this entire roster, and we're like, we don't know these guys yet either. Yeah, the photographic rosters were helpful, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it comes back to the point about expectations on the season. And I'm going to ask a, a question here from our Plowboys Barbecue and A, and this is from uh, Believe in Fred. Uh, he goes, I have zero expectations for the season because I have nothing I realistically feel can be used as a baseline for a measuring stick. So perhaps the conversation isn't about what are the expectations. Rather, can one truly have any valid expectations for the season? And if the if you do, Dave, you're our basketball expert. If If you do have expectations, what are they based off of? It's a really great question there. I mean, not having any expectations is that's an odd statement. I mean, you could have low expectations, which means you don't expect to win a lot, or you could have high expectations and think you're going to make a deep run in the tournament. Um, hopefully, we're somewhere in the, the middle there, likely, uh, on that spectrum. So I, I, would, I, I don't want to say I have low expectations, but uh, with a team like this, where we have, we probably have enough talent to say that we could be competitive in division one, maybe not, you know, big, big Ten's good. So, and, and we're probably lacking the size that we typically would want to compete in the big 10. So that's going to be interesting to see how we match up against some of these big 10 teams as we go forward. But I mean, I think we're going to be good enough to win uh, a fair amount of our non-conference. And then it's a matter of how well this team gels. And I would expect that some games just because of the matchup or the chemistry, um, it, we're going to look pretty good. And then the next game, we're going to look like a disaster, right? It's going to have some ebbs and flows, ups and downs, right? And that's where we're going to have some patience, I think, um, to, to let these guys get better. And maybe by the end of the year, they really start to come together uh, because there's some talented guys that are on this team. They just not played at all with one another. So someone like Cam Mack, who missed the Italy trip, and we found out that his illness that kept him from going was Crohn's disease, um, which is something that he can control now, uh, now that it's been diagnosed. But, uh, you know, there's just haven't had a lot of opportunities to, to play as a, as a group. And uh, Cam Mack is a serious talent. And so once we get these type of guys starting to play together, starting to um, synchronize, um, we could see some, some pretty fun basketball. I have a question as a, as a, as a non-Kool-Aid drinking basketball fan, I mean, I'm very. And there's not many oh, we don't Kool-Aid serve Kool-Aid drinking. in basketball. No, there's no. I, well, I mean, I, I'm not saying necessarily you guys are drinking Kool-Aid, but when 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 Beller asked the question, what are the expectations? I have zero. And like, I expect that we will play basketball. That's what I expect. Like, there will be games, and we may win or we may lose. I don't know. But to look at this team and say, like, what is a, what is, what's the barometer of success? Like, what would you look at and say? And, and it's so hard to say because you don't know who these players are, but short of a win-loss expectation, are you looking at a culture thing or are you looking at a, a style? Like, if, if Hoiberg is able to implement his offense to a point or defense to a point where you can, you can see it on the court, is that enough this year? And if that is enough, what would that manifest in wins? It's hard to put a number on where I expect to win this many games i'm going to call this number a success that i don't think we're capable of doing at this point because this this team is kind of a bit of a cipher 
But I think, you know, we've seen a little bit of what they can do on that Europe trip. They played pretty well against some European teams. You know, so that was nice to see. But I think what I want to see, what I'm going to measure success in this year is the non-conference schedule. It is a bit softer than what we had scheduled with, you know, the Miles teams. We're not playing a lot of great teams in our non-conference this year. We're just not. You know, they're fairly easy. And honestly, I think that's what you need to play in this first season. So what I want to see is... How do we play by, you know, you know, come January? You know, there'll be a few Big Ten games scattered in there. But let's see how well this team has come together. Are they gelling? Are they looking like a team? Are they playing games? Have they kind of figured out roles? And do they know what they want to do at that point? Are we going to go on a deep run in the Big Ten? Probably not. I, I, they're asking a lot this year. The Big Ten is going to be good. They're not going to be the down Big Ten we had a couple of years ago with Miles. And But are we going to be able to pull off some upsets? That's what I hope for. A solid non-conference, you know, by the end of the non-conference, are we looking like a, a basketball team that knows each other, knows their roles? Are we playing more aggressively than we did in the Miles regime where it was mostly just, sad to say, it was guys standing around not knowing what to do and then the clock runs out and we have to throw up a miracle ball and hope something happens. I, I think we're not going to be doing that and that's what I want to see right around January. And I think if we can do that, I'll call the season a success. You know, Mac, you had mentioned, like, what's the Hoiberg defense going to look like? And I can tell you right now, this isn't about Hoiberg's defense. I, he doesn't even talk about defense. That, that's up to Doc. That's the Doc Sadler Kickers. defense. He doesn't. He doesn't speak about it. <laughs> yeah, this is the Sadler defense. Um, I have no expectations right now for this season, and and I say that in the best way. I really don't. To Boomer's point, we don't have to be great to have a really good record at the end of non-conference, and that's because that schedule is built perfectly for this. But right now, I think if you ask Hoiberg, Coach Hoiberg, what we want to see out of this team in this this year one. We don't have the size from a rebounding standpoint to win with that. That's not that's not going to be the thing that's going to win games for us. It's going to be about pace. Uh, we're going to be undersized at pretty much every position. Uh, so we're going to have to try to play fast, uh, get out, play with great pace, uh, and try to win games that way. We're, we are going to not only pace but space, right? We're going to spread people out. We're going to shoot threes or hit, hit layups. That's about it. And uh, defensively, there could be some matchup problems against some of the bigger Big Ten teams. There's no doubt about it. Um, that could change quickly. I think we, you know, a couple of the guys that are sitting out, uh, Derek Walker, the Tennessee transfer in particular, is a big body guy that would quickly solve that in year two. And I'm, I'm sure uh, uh, Hoiberg and his his coaching staff is on the look for for more of those type of guys. So, you know, if you had to put a number on it, I would say that Hoiberg thinks that it could be similar to the Iowa State first uh, year, which I think they went like sixteen and sixteen or something like that. Um, and, but I mean, I think most of those wins were non conference. To Boomer's point, they probably were like six and twelve in conference or something like that, right? Dave, if we if we won enough games in year one to make any kind of postseason, I mean, I'd be ecstatic. Anything that. At the end of, you know, when we're hitting March, if we have any kind of extra practices, you know, with this staff, I mean, I think that would be a great thing. Yeah. But I'm kind of interested in your, your thought on this. What is the relationship or how do you kind of see how Hoiberg and Sadler work together? You hear about this where Hoiberg is so offensively minded to the point where he doesn't even talk defense with players. And then Sadler, who is just in the perfect role right now in his career. He is a defensive-minded guy, and as we knew for seven years that he was here, didn't care about offense. Now he can just <laughs> focus on the defense. So, I mean, how do you, Dave, how do you kind of envision how that works together? They've obviously worked together at Iowa State and everything, but but we kind of have 
the offense and defensive coordinators together. So how do you envision that working in year one? Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. Obviously, it's worked before, so you have to have a little bit of faith in that relationship. It is, I mean, the World of Herald had a great preview article about Doc Sadler and his, his return. And uh, it talked a little bit about how there's this kind of irony in the sense that Horberg wants to hit a lot of threes and a lot of layups. And, and really, Sadler is a defensive guy who doesn't mind giving up three-pointers because he doesn't think he's going to lose from behind the arc. He's Dave, actually, to that point, he even talked about last year that the game that he gave up the most three-pointers when he was with Southern Miss, they won. I think they gave up like... It was something yep. like 17 three-pointers in some game, and he proudly said, we won that game by 10 points. Yep. I don't even know who the opponent was, but exactly to your point there. I mean, that was – I mean, I'm not trying to create, like, you know, friction here, but it's, it feels like there's a little bit of a difference between those two. So it's how they kind of marry their two philosophies sure. together. But, again, to your point earlier, they have worked together before doing this. Right. The key there, I think, in my opinion, is that Horberg's offense isn't just three-pointers. He also wants layups and dunks, etc. And that's what Sadler's trying to stop, right, against uh, you know, yep, against exactly. us. And that's what also Fred's offense, because of the space, uh, can create is, is easy shots. And so um, there's that's a very important component of the Hoiberg offense. So do not just get hung up on the three-point shooting, uh, although we will take a lot of them. And now, around the Van Horn. All right, good stuff, guys. You know, um, since we're we're talking about other sports, uh, might as well bring up a little baseball just really quickly. Uh, Will Bolt, uh, you know, they had the Red White Series, um, and they also had a couple of exhibitions, Wichita State and Kansas, I believe. Um, you know, I think Will Bolt just trying to get a familiarity with his team and a uh, whole new pitching staff, it seems like. But I, I think what I want to highlight here really quick is just Bolt's recruiting prowess. Um, and Boomer or, or Hawk, anybody else who's uh, seen this, you might want to chime in, but um, Will has really doubled down on the local Nebraska recruiting. Uh, Cade uh, Povich, I believe, uh, uh, he was a JUCO in, in Arizona, but someone who left uh, Nebraska he was able to bring him back in. More recently, Drew Cristo, that name may sound familiar. That's Monte Cristo's son, 6'4", 210, going to be a, a, a pretty uh, highly regarded prospect, uh, just recently committed. Uh, several other uh, Omaha Metro and Lincoln uh, guys. And so Will has really focused on the local guys and has had a lot of success uh, recruiting Nebraska kids to play at Nebraska. Yeah, I'll be the, the last person to claim to have you know knowledge to all the guys that we brought in here with baseball. But what I can say is I know that we had issues prior with not always getting all the best in-state kids. And yeah. of all the schools across the country, A&M with Bolt at that time, they could come in here and they would they would bring guys in. Yeah. And so Dave or Boomer, maybe one of you guys know, I mean, do you know the name of the guy that left A&M? Logan Foster. <laughs> so he left Nebraska to go to A&M and now he came back to Nebraska. And I, that's just every red-blood Nebraskan can can like that. We like that we, we don't want to lose any of these in-state kids. And that is something that Bolt has already in a very short amount of time, kind of said, it, look, we're going to secure those borders. And I think that's yeah. a very important step 
moving forward. Yeah, that was something, if you go back and listen to our shows from last year, that was one of the points that we really wanted with whoever we brought in as a head coach to keep the good Nebraska talent here because we were losing them to, to A&M especially in other schools. And that's a good thing to see from Will Bolt, and I think it's a definite positive step. He is hitting the recruiting hard, and that's something you have to do to succeed here in a Big Ten school and a Northern school playing baseball. So, and so far, so good. Yeah, should be really interesting, and uh, there is a lot of returning talent there. They do need to figure out some uh, the pitching rotation. But I, I thought the interesting thing, Colby uh, Gomes, who was the, the closer last year, played first base, is actually uh, projected to move into that uh, starting rotation. And so that will be interesting. And uh, there's a, a couple other spots for grabs. So should be a, an interesting uh, offseason for Nebraska baseball. And uh, that season will be uh, upon us before you know it. All right, guys. Uh, you guys ready for your parting shots? Let's do it. All right. Let's uh, throw in your game prediction as well with, with this. And we'll just wrap it up. And we'll start with uh, Honky. All right. I'm going to make it eight for eight, <laughs> picking Nebraska to win. So with that, of course, we're going to beat Indiana, and uh, we are going to win 3-2. to two. It worked the last time I did this with uh, Northwestern, so I'm going to do it again with Indiana. We're going to win 3-2. to two. In addition to that, if we get into our parting shots here, we are now up to over well over 10,000 followers. We are now the 17th largest city in Nebraska. We yes. just exceeded Lexington. So yes. we are we are number 17, guys. We are, we're kicking butt there. Thank you very much to all the Redcasters out there. Um, I do want to say one other thing, and this is for uh, Barney Cotton, uh, former Husker and former Husker coach. He underwent heart transplant surgery today. Ooh. So our thoughts and prayers are with him. Hopefully everything goes great with the recovery. And, uh, you know, we're thinking of you, Barney. Uh, let's go with Boomer. Okay, uh, first off, yeah, I kind of wanted to echo what uh, Honky was saying with uh, good thoughts out to uh, Barney Cotton. And I also wanted to send shout-outs to Mark Richt, who had a heart attack uh, also as well. You know, he has some, you know, Nebraska ties here. Uh, another thing, you know, I'd seen that Adrian Martinez and other Husker players had deleted their Twitter account. And I just want to remind everybody, don't tweet players. Just just don't do that. You know, if you need to yell at anybody, yell at the Redcast. We can handle it. We don't care what, you know, yep. what you have to turn to us at. Just leave the players alone, for God's sake. I mean, you know, they're way younger than you in most cases, and they don't need that. Boomer, I think I might, at the very end of this show, I might just replay our uh public service announcement yeah from, from that would be week. healthy just in case anything goes awry yeah. this weekend yeah that's a that's a good idea yeah just, just don't hoot at the players everybody and as far as game predictions go god almighty this is the point in the year the stats are who you are so i'm gonna try a little reverse psychology this week i've been bucking stats all season and it hasn't paid off for us when i picked nebraska Stats on this favor, Indiana. Their defense is about 100 yards better a game than us. Their offense is better. So I'm going to predict an Indiana victory, but expecting this to go awry so Nebraska wins. So a little reverse psychology on this. But let's say Indiana 31, Nebraska 28. As sad as that is. All right. I I, I like the thought process, Boomer. If it plays out, well, well thank you. Uh, all right, Mac, what do you have? Uh, as far as game prediction goes, I'm going to go with the old 31-21 Nebraska. I have no problem picking us winning this game. It's Indiana. This isn't basketball. I, I, <laughs> I don't even understand how we could possibly be not favored. What if Gene uh, Hackman's on the sideline? Is that okay? Yeah. I love that? you guys. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this isn't If they run the, the swinging gate or whatever, then yeah. I'll know. Yeah. This isn't the Hickory yeah. Huskers. Yeah, this is L-Town USA, man. This is Nebraska Huskers. And unfortunately for my parting shot, I don't have any heart attack 
people to talk to. Oh, so uh, <laughs> you guys all had a heart attack victim, and I, I just don't have anybody. So uh, I don't have anything. Just throw it to Dave. All right. No problem, Max. Sometimes you can just take a pass on a parting shot. It's not a big deal. Um, well, I, I, I always take a pass on parting shots, so don't worry about it. I, I do have game prediction, though. Um, I'm going to say Nebraska 27, Indiana 20, something like that. Um, and uh, hopefully it plays out uh, with Boomer's uh, you know, reverse psychology that we uh, get the win that we need here against the Hoosiers. All right, guys. Uh, great show. Had a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully our listeners did too. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. And now a Husker fan public service announcement. Hey, Husker fans. Another game day loss got you down? Feeling like you need to blow off that L column frustration? What better place to go than... Twitter! Twitter! I'm gonna log on and do some tweets! Wait, no. You interrupted me there. I don't think you should go on Twitter and... Tell them who should be fired! Somebody better be fired! Yeah, someone definitely needs to be fired for this. Well, I've got a new and better option for you. I'm gonna get on the Twitters, and I'm gonna tweet at them directly! Yeah, as a grown man, I'm gonna tweet this 20-year-old and tell them exactly what I think of them. Gonna be sure to go public with my unhappiness because that will finally get it fixed! Oh my great grand island, no! Man, does this sound like you? Well, folks, help is on the way. The next time your game rage wants to burst through your blowhole via your thumb muscles, pull an audible. And instead, grab a nice cold frothy glass of Stay Off of Twitter, otherwise known by its acronym of SUIT. That's S-O-O-T. Stay Off of Twitter. Suit is a scientifically tested and proven method that helps with your game day blues, as well as preserve your personal integrity going forward. So next time a fumble has you ready to go public with your angry mumble, let Suit intercept that impulse as you go ahead and pay us on that tweet. See what I did there? This has been a Husker Fan Public Service announcement brought to you by the Association of a Level-Headed Tomorrow. Thank you.